Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, something just a little different this week. Um, basically, one of my very infrequent conversations just by myself, with myself, and you. And the subject I'm going to tackle this time is um, that of psychological safety. It's fascinated me from some while working in the area of burnout and resilience, uh, bumping into the idea of psychological safety, especially now it has an ISO number. And I thought it might be useful just to spend a little bit of time seeing what psychological safety is, what it's all about, and what it has to offer us. I've always been a big fan of the idea of it rather than some of the more um, stereotypical or mechanised ways of the MHFA. Not to say there's anything the matter with that at all, but I just think this is a more useful way of looking at the world and aligns itself more closely with burnout and resilience than some of the more stress-based um, alternatives that exist out there. So, um, basically, um, according to a new paper by Ryan Klinger, um, modified this year actually, he, he links, or they link back, to this idea that um, psychological safety was part of the Kurt Lewin change package, and that psychological safety has its roots in organisational change. Uh, Lewin's idea was that we, you took an organisation, you froze it, you changed it, and then you refroze it. Um, and it was people like Edgar Schein who I link this idea of psychological safety with Lewin's model, saying that in order to unfreeze an organisation, to be able to make that change, this there had to be some sort of um, psychological safety so um, that any anxiety associated with the change would be reduced. Um, um, and that the leadership of the organisation would work to reduce that anxiety to facilitate the refreezing. Which which is a nice idea, actually, if you think about it. Um, Bill Kahn also talks about this um, idea of um, organisational change, but links it um, more roundly into the idea of organisational behaviour. Uh, and the name that's perhaps most linked to uh, psychological safety or PS is that of Amy Edmondson who um, who linked it really much more closely to the individual and sort of coined a more useful term which is about this sort of sense of um, comfort with the group in, in that someone's comfortable in terms of having a voice, making assertions, uh, sharing ideas and you know not suffering at the um, hands of people when mistakes are made. Which, which is great, um, 
and allows actually uh, greater risk-taking, error-taking, error disclosure to take place and um, builds a more robust and adult culture. However, my discomfort with the subject came when I first started chatting to a client of mine who had discovered that um, one of his more difficult to manage team members um, was using psychological safety as a sort of defense mechanism or a, an armory or a shield towards pretty good and established leadership management practice that they were saying, you know, basically you're making me feel unpsychologically safe. And I thought, and I think actually it strikes at the root or the heart of the problem here, which is that in order to build a psychologically safe um, environment, um, in order to have the usual psychological thing about a stimulus and a response, that we have to consider consider the organism. So you have a you know stimulus, the organism organism itself, which is the human being in its different contexts, and the response. And in order to be able to have a psychological safe culture you probably need to have pretty well psychologically safe people. Uh, now, which comes first is the is the issue here. And I think this is where the challenge of resilience uh, links together. So if I can just recap on my resilience burnout ideas, um, for me, resilience is about this ability to um, bounce back or forwards after um, mistakes or um, catastrophic, something catastrophic or difficult or errors have taken place. Um, you're able to weather the storm, you're able to build the capacity for change, and you're able to um, understand yourself well enough to know where your own resilience may be compromised. So at the heart of that is this idea of being able to make a mistake and come back from it. Psychological safety is about this idea that you can state the mistake so you don't actually make it, or if you do, you can disclose it. So that seems handy. So if you're not resilient, um, are you able to be resilient in a non-psychologically safe culture? I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? I would say if you are resilient, part of the reason, part of the way of making a, a psychologically safe culture is to actually to have the skills of resilience. Uh, burnout's a term that's often bandied around. This is this idea where people become um, exhausted, uh, they lose their capacity to care. Remember, it was, you know, it was first developed for the caring professions. Um, and there's sort of two definitions of burnout, one which is the caring one, which is uh, Freudenberger's idea of the original thing where people um, are overworked, too busy, but also so lose their capacity to cope because of the demands of stress and stressed intolerance in the job, but also lose the capacity to care. And now we have a, a version which is more akin to, say, the legal profession where it's just about overwork. Now, um, again, if you're psychologically safe, are you talking about the uh, correlation between overwork and lack of care and burnout. And I, and I do think this is one of those organizational indicators. Now, Edmondson herself created a, a predictor um, and a toolkit to be able to think about this. And I, you know, we, along with many other organizations, we've done the same thing. So we've created a way of being able to say, are we psychologically safe? If we're not, what do we do? And we actually have to think about the. Um, the relative and uh, increasingly important part of leadership management here. And I think part of the challenge here is this idea that leaders and managers have lost the subtlety of building a culture that is adult and robust and resilient, where people can still be accountable and people are responsible for the management of their own feelings. Because I think the problem here is that in creating a psychological culture, it, it has the risk of disabling or disempowering a manager to do what needs to be done. So um, 
there's very there's a very clear thing in the literature that says basically if you have a psychologically safe culture that that leaders should be able to take feedback and, and that's right but i contend that everybody needs to be able to take feedback if anyone's performance has got off track it makes sense to be able to have the sort of culture where, where what can be said can be said now i've done a, a lot of team research over the years i've run thousands of team building sessions and um, leadership management sessions and and they're always a strange number Number of points that come back in, in terms of commonality and and Google did the same thing I mean they, they did a famous study around PS which talked about this idea of psychological safety being at the root of all these different things but for me it's it, it is this adult culture it's this ability to be able to say you know um, I can I can be accountable uh, I cannot feel safe from time to time but sometimes I have to recognise my part in that process. So if you if you have a um, an attachment style, for example, uh, which is an anxious, so you for example for example attach to other people in an anxious sort of way, you know you know the rest of the team could be massively psychologically safe, but you might not be psychologically safe now. The issue here is how much does the person bring their own baggage into that psychologically safe culture? And I think when it comes to auditing people, we need to have a baseline understanding of um, that level of anxiety that exists with people, that level of independent safety. So if you think about it, if you in your very soul feel unsafe in yourself, if you're anxious on a day-to-day -day basis with your lot in life, maybe that's been driven by a a uh, sort of a perfectionist approach or a people-pleasing approach to use sort of the TA term terminology, your baseline of anxiety is going to be higher than other people's. So when it comes to looking at working with teams when they talk about having identity and purpose and fun and the ability to bounce ideas around, you're naturally going to be more anxious. Now, does a leader therefore create a psychologically safe culture at the level of the most anxious person. Given that the most anxious person doesn't always divulge their anxiety because of course you're anxious about being anxious sometimes. And so it is actually about how you create good practice across the piece. Yes, we have to get great feedback, but that needs to be both ways. There needs to be a sense of camaraderie, a sense of um, purpose, a sense of meaning in the role that you're doing. And you know, you have to be able to have meetings where you say what needs to be said and you're not shut down for that idea. Um, however, of course, you know, people can ask a very innocent question um, and someone can take offense at that. You know, they choose to take offense at that. They see a threat where none is, um, present. So there is something about building an intentionality in this culture where people say our intention is to build this thing. There will be times where we get it wrong but that's not that's not to stop us having a go at this thing and to know that we will not be perfect in creating this idea. So for me we have to test the culture and we have to test the individual I, the individual perspectives or attitudes to anxiety before we start with something. We also have to have this that sense of direction, this sense of going somewhere, this sense of meaning in the job. And we have to have this idea of being able to speak out and share ideas without being laughed at. Um, or certainly we have to laugh with is, is fine, but laughed against is, is, is a problem. And one of the key things I think about when I look at the confluence between the PS, resilience and burnout is this subject of meetings. The number of times I will see people sitting in meetings in organisations where the person who's happiest in the meeting is the person who's running it, and that's not always the line manager, but often is. Um, people don't, they're, they're at the meeting and they don't know why. 
They're at the meeting and it's not relevant. They're at the meeting uh, and it's inefficient. They're at the meeting and it's the wrong medium. So it's 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 a, an online meeting and it used to be a, an offline meeting, but it's been run as if it were the same thing. No one's actually built that hybrid idea of taking technology and rethinking the um, ability to thought, think about process because no one's ever said. And I think it's in meetings where we can start to spot the issues because if people aren't saying, hey, this meeting's not for me, I need to leave, or this meeting's too long, I need to go, or do I need to be at that meeting? And hey, why is this meeting starting at 11 and not 10 past? Because a meeting that starts at 11 has an inference of being an hour. A meeting that starts at 10 past the hour or 22 the hour has an inference of being perhaps half 20 minutes or perhaps 40 minutes, but not always an hour. So people be, need to be, to be more robust about this idea of looking at the return on investment about what they produce and where they invest their time. Now that's a very adult culture, but it allows anxious people to see the value in the time that they are spending and making choices in where to spend that time. And so if a, a leader or manager sits down and says, well, you know, where is the value of uh, your contribution over the last week, for example, that person can say, well, you know, this is the value of what I've achieved this week, but this is where my value is diminished because of these effects here. And look, let's be really honest, there are meetings and organisations where you have to go because sometimes head office demands it and, you know, it's a three-line whip. Maybe it's something that everyone has to hear at the same time. But, but that's fine. Um, the issue is about the, the casual, the, um, the careless meetings where people are sort of just falling into the rhythm or routine of a meeting that used to be this way and has continued to operate that same way. I think in the burnout literature, I often talk about this idea that meetings are the sort of root of most burnout issues. And I do think I see the confluence with psychological safety because that's where people come together. Now, if you don't think you can challenge the team uh, and speak out, you know, that is an argument to say that we don't have psychological safety. If you don't have the confidence to go and talk to your manager directly, then actually that's uh, perhaps more of an issue between you and the manager. That might be down to you and your own levels of anxiety or their ability to lead you well. At a one-to-one -one level, I'd be saying that there's a sort of an equal responsibility to look at those things both ways. Um, so I think we need to um, sort of unpick these things. Now, we, we have uh, on our website a uh, psychological safety tool you're free to download and, and have a look and it gives you some indicators it's very ba basic it's based on the Adamson approach um, but the key then is actually how do we take leadership and management and remembering that leaders and managers are people too because I think people forget that is that bit about how do we actually get those people to produce management leadership and process that allows culture to be what we need it to be. There's no doubt that a culture that encourages people to share their ideas, to highlight risks and errors, is a, is a sensible culture. So anything we can do to get towards that, for me, um, is, is a worthy enterprise. So I think how we morph and flex and bend and amend and think about the accountability and the value of people's time is a useful and slightly depersonalized way in being able to have that conversation. It is fascinating um, many times over the years that I've worked with, say, level seven groups, MBA groups, and they've often gone off and said, let's you know, look at our time and review our time spent in meetings. And it always come back with these huge ROI 
opportunities and um, if you look at your own workload and you just look at how much work you're doing that has no point or meaning or you don't know why you're doing it it's amazing how much you can strip out your own diaries um, but you have to have that engagement now for me the leadership culture comes from the top of the organization And if they pop, so, so for me, the leadership culture comes from the top of the organisation. And what I find is uh, a lot of words being used at the tops of organisation to have meaning in terms of what they want, but actually actions are often different to words. And one of the key things consultancies can do, third parties, people like ourselves or other people as well, you can come in and see those ambiguities, those those abstractions of the idea versus the reality of what's really going on. And I think it's sometimes interesting to have some sort of organisational indicator that allows you to do that. It, it's no point in my view pulsing the organisation and confidence and asking its views because of course the organisation's part of the problem and often can't see the issues. So sometimes an external view of things can be, uh, be very useful. So to conclude there is a confluence around resilience, burnout and psychological safety. They're all interdependent, they all add to each other. But the thing that binds them all is this idea of purpose and, and uh, sorry, it's purpose and identity and this adult culture, which is you know driven around this idea of value creation and I mean dare I say tough love, I know it's a I know it's an old-fashioned phrase, but uh, we've run a tough, leadership, tough love leadership course forever, and it's that thing about saying we have to make tough decisions. We need to be able to, um, you know, manage tough targets, but we do it with care and consideration, and a degree of, you know, um, consideration. And I'm, I'm skirting the love word, but I do. You know, if, you, if you don't love yourself and love other people at a sort of conceptual level, it's very hard to be able to um, make that work. So conclusion, um, feel free to have a look at our website. Um, those of you who have noticed interesting sounds coming from the background may not know that I'm actually uh, sitting on a cruise ship in the middle of a very busy port at the moment and one of the largest uh, passenger container ferries has just gone out from my window. So if you heard uh, honking noises and cheering and clapping, that was the Venice ferry on its way. So uh, that's lovely. And I thought I'd leave that in for a little bit of atmosphere because, hey, why not? So I hope those musings were useful, if nothing else, just to get you thinking about the subject. And there's lots more on our site at qedod.com. Uh, you can look at our work on burnout and resilience and see what we have to say, and increasingly the work on psychological safety, including some of our uh, therapeutic work as well, one-to-one. -one. So um, until the next time, thanks a lot for listening. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.